God speaks to us in his word. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Chanel. Um, Well, good morning, happy new year. Um, If you haven't met me yet, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at Frontline Shawnee. I serve on a team of elders, so I'm just one of the elders, but... um, I'm the lead pastor, and um, man, really glad that you guys are here. Um, do you want to invite you to get involved in community groups? It, it really is the heartbeat of the church, and so uh, please get involved there. Um, if I haven't uh, seen you this year, which most of you I haven't, because uh, I was gone last week, uh, I'm kind of treating this like the first sermon of the new year, and just want to say Happy New Year to you guys. One of the things that marks uh, the turn of a new year well, for all of us, 2021 is just like good riddance 2020. I mean, that's one thing that marks this particular year is we can't wait to say sign R to 2020. Let's see what happens in 2021. I don't even want to say out loud that there's no way it can be as bad, so I'm not going to say that, okay? But we just are hoping it won't be. Um, one of the things that marks the new year is just the reality that a lot of people make New Year's resolutions, and what that means is they kind of look back at their life and they look, they look forward and they look back at what they didn't do or who they're not, but who they want to be. And looking forward means making New Year's resolutions. And so I'm terrible at it. I'm no good at New Year's resolutions. I'm like the laughing stock. I mean, everything I set out to do, I usually just forget about in four months. So maybe you're better at it. I don't know. I, I rolled out. I've got an old desk. I rolled out in my, my old desk that's got these like writing platforms that you can roll out. And I had taped everything I wanted to accomplish in 2020. And as far as I can remember, I think that's the first time that I actually looked at that since I put it down to tape it. I just totally forgot about it. I was like, oh man, those are a list of a lot of cool things I should have done in 2020. (laughs) It just sat in the desk. I really was proud of myself for coming up with all that stuff. I said, well, I just need to change this, the zero to one. We'll just call this 2021 because I didn't do any of these. Some of us are, are really good at resolutions. I'm not, obviously. Some of us are kind of like cynical towards New Year's resolutions. I can tell in the room, like, that's just so stupid. Just change when you want to change. Don't wait till the new year. I totally understand that as well. Um, some of you welcome New Year's resolutions. Either way, it is a good thing for a person to think about how they need to change in their life. And it's a good mark of Christianity for us to have the humility to say, how do we need to grow? How do we need to change? And right now is the time where it's really natural for us to be thinking about change. So there are ways that we need to grow as a church, and we're going to talk about that today. Now, by God's grace, in general, we have seen a lot of growth and a lot of health in the past two to three years, particularly this past year. It's been crazy to see the amount of um, just growth and deepening and surrounded by turmoil that's happened in our church in the middle of this pandemic. I mean, it's 
We're, we're trying to figure out what to do about it all. Uh, but it's been really good. Our church is really healthy in lots of ways. However, if we stay in this place where we're like, it's good right now, let's just maintain it here, what's going to happen is, is we're going to discover really quickly that there's no such thing as a stalemate in leadership. And there's no such thing as a stalemate in Christianity. What I mean by stalemate is, stalemate is a term that happens uh, when you play chess, where there's just this like sort of liminal space where the king cannot be taken, but also you can't make a move, and you just keep going back and forth and back and forth. Nobody actually ever wins. Well, that doesn't happen in Christianity. There's no such thing as just staying put. You're either going backwards or forwards. And while we're experiencing a lot of health right now, if we don't put our foot on the gas pedal, what we're going to look, do is we're going to look back and say, what happened? We were doing so well. Now's the time to put our foot on the gas pedal. I'm talking to everyone individually, to me, and to us corporately. So I've got 13 things uh, that are resolutions for us in 2021. And we're looking at the letter to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, which is Thessalonians, Thessalonica was very much like us. Healthy church. However, they kind of coasted in on fumes. They were weary, burdened. A lot going on in the church and the world around them. Persecuted in some ways. Paul writes this letter to them and his final words are what we're going to walk through today. He charges them, admonishes them. So we're going to walk through that exactly. Listen to me. Pay close attention because we have to heed these words and we have to say yes to this. Don't just let this be a sermon that you listen to, but don't act on. Let's act on these words. 13 things. The first is this. Respect your leaders. Respect your leaders. Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You might think that Paul is talking about leaders of all kinds. And while we do need to pray for our leaders and we need to respect positions of leadership, he's not talking about leaders of all kinds. He's not talking about community leaders. He's not talking about political leaders. He is talking about specifically and only leaders in the church. He says, Respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord. In the Lord. Christianity over the past 2,000 years, we've seen two real extremes of leadership that both, both lead us into ditches. The first is this. There's an idolization of leaders. We can idolize leaders who are over us. Because we're always looking for something that we think we don't have. You have a good shepherd. You have one. There will never be a better shepherd. The Bible calls Jesus the good shepherd. What we do, what you do and I do, is we are constantly looking for a good shepherd in something other than the actual good shepherd. So you guys looked at me to be your good shepherd. I'm not. I won't ever be. I am not the good shepherd. I try my best 
to be a man of character. I try my best to be a great under-shepherd, under the good shepherd. I try my best to have our elders all be men that are qualified and competent to lead you to the good shepherd. We are not the good shepherd. You might have grown up in a situation in church where the pastor was really seen as the guy. And then what happens is if the pastor messes up or if he says something wrong to you, well, your house of idolatry is built on him being the good shepherd. And so what happens then is you can no longer follow the good shepherd because the pastor who you thought was the good shepherd let you down. It was never his job to be the good shepherd. It was his job to protect calling. It was his job to guard doctrine. It was his job to be presentable before the Lord, to have be a man of high character. That was his job. But to be the good shepherd, it's not. We idolize leaders sometimes. Throughout history, there's been an idolization of leaders, so much so that we would even dress leaders up, clergy up in these crazy robes. I don't hate robes, but and maybe a lectern that was really separate from the people and kind of distanced and even elevated. Or they would live in a place among people that was just not among you. It just all of these things. I even hate that this stage is so high off the ground. I'd be preaching down there a lot if people weren't free, wouldn't be freaked out because of how close we were. It's, I hate that thing. That separation of clergy and laity, people and the pastor. I am you and you are me. We just have different callings. That's it. I'm not called to do what you do. You're not called to do what I do. People think that because I'm a pastor, because other people are pastors, that they must be some spiritual professional Christian, some superstar, superhuman in some way. We're not. We're not. I'm a dude that deserves hell. God saved me. And I'm just telling you about it. Idolization of leaders. The other thing is this. Devaluing leaders. There's idolization. That's one ditch. There's devaluing leaders is another ditch. Two totally separate extremes. This is where a church has no recognition of leadership whatsoever. No one is really leading, and everybody hates labels. So there's no recognition of a lead pastor or other elders or people who are in authority over you, which makes it real weird when we get to 1 Peter 5 that says, submit to the elders who are in authority over you because they're ones keeping watch over your soul because your adversary is like the, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, it's like, I don't want to be devoured. <laughs> How do I... Who am I supposed to submit to? Well, if you don't have anybody that's over you, and you don't recognize them, then you don't know who to submit to. We devalue leaders and we devalue positions. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this. Notice that terminology. This is talking to you. You, please, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Because why? Because that would be no advantage to you. Do it with joy. Submit to, obey your leaders. Submit to them. They're keeping watch on your soul. Do it with joy, not with groaning. That would be no advantage to you. In the New Testament, we see 
what healthy leadership looks like in Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd who's given church elders the responsibility to shepherd under him. Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, patience. Your leaders should work to not be the good shepherd for you, because that'll never work, but they should work to lead you to the good shepherd who represents all the fruits of the Spirit perfectly. We see elders in the church in the New Testament um, leading, serving through their leadership, guarding doctrine, leading the mission of the church and empowering the church body for ministry. We also see deacons, men and women, lead through service, care for people, care for the church, lead care ministry, and fighting for unity. Alistair Begg says, these leadership roles exist not to monopolize all the ministry, but to multiply the ministry. We have terrible ecclesiology. What I mean by that word is just a theology of how the church should function. We have a terrible theology of how the church should function if we think that pastors, deacons, and community leaders are supposed to be the ones that care for everybody. They're not. A pastor should not be judged or graded on how much he can care for you. I just want to repeat that because I could see that sound shocking. A pastor should not be judged or graded for how much he can care for you individually. He can't. Look around. There's not enough hours in the day. Pastor's job is to simply this. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That equals care. That's the job of the pastor. Your job as a saint, that's how the Bible would label you. I know it sounds crazy. We're not going to make a statue in your honor, I don't think. Maybe one day, who knows what your life is going to turn out like. You are a saint because you're a Christian. Saints of the church. That's all Christians. Your job is to do the work of the ministry. You shouldn't have to be prompted to do it. You shouldn't even need permission necessarily to do it. There are some things that elders need to make decision on. We need to guard doctrine. We need to guard the culture of the church. We need to guard big things that are happening in the church for sure. And we'll say no on several things. But by and large, caring for people and doing the work of ministering to people, you don't need permission to do it. Go do it. Get out of here. Go do it. Don't wait on a training or some class to get you in the perfect spot where you're going to just do it perfectly. You never will. You just got to go on ahead and do it. Do you think about someone that's not been here in a long time? Call them. Is there somebody that has a need in your neighborhood or your community? Meet the need. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry, which I'm doing right now, by the way. This is also equipping you for work of ministry. So, we have, to, we have to lead as ministers of the gospel, as members in the church. Don't idolize leaders and don't devalue them. Submit to them, obey them, and ultimately under the great chief shepherd, Jesus. How's your heart today towards frontline leaders? How's your heart today towards me? How's your heart today towards our other elders or towards your community group leader or whoever? How is your heart? Examine your heart. 
And Shawnee, in general, we do a good job of this, but let's repent and change our heart towards our leadership in this new year even more, even more. Second is this, be at peace. Be at peace among yourselves, verse 13. We want to be peacemakers according to Matthew. Um, that's what Jesus tells us to, who are blessed. Peacemakers are blessed. So three things peacemakers do. They endure suffering rather than inflict suffering. They build love and unity rather than tearing it down. And they cultivate community rather than uprooting it. Be a peacemaker. And it's actually up to you. Romans 12, 18 says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you. And trust me, our nation needs it right now more than ever. It depends on you. Live peaceably. There's nothing like a person of peace walking into an anxious system. And then the whole anxiety shifts and changes. And they go, whatever that guy's got, that's what I want. Do you run a business? Run it peaceably. Push back against the anxiety of this crazy world. Let's be people of peace in an anxious world. Third thing is this, admonish the idle. The word idle here literally means those who are not involved or engaged. Um, typically, it has to do with work. Apparently, there was a problem with some dudes not working hard in the Thessalonica church. Um, we have that same problem here as everybody else does. They were waiting on Jesus to come back any minute. And so, I don't know, they were just laying on the couch and eating cheese puffs or something. Um, we should all be people that work incredibly hard. But admonishing the idol means more than just those who aren't working hard. It also means admonishing those who are, have become idle with community. So there might very well be people that are, and you might be one of them, that have not been checked into community, have just used or seen 2020. And trust me, I know, listen, this pandemic is crazy. You don't, you don't need to feel any shame for feeling nervous about coming in a group of people, coming to church or whatever during, during a pandemic. You don't need to feel any shame about that at all. We try our best to make it healthy, um, but still, I get that if you don't feel comfortable. Um, however, there are other ways to be involved in community in the church. Being idle also means being idle with community. It means checking out. It's not just not showing up to work. It's not showing up to, to church community. We need each other right now probably more than we ever have. Let's not be idle. We should admonish the idle. And this is not the work of just pastors. If you wondered if it was, let me read the verse. I urge you brothers, admonish the idle. That's the whole church. Church members should be caring for church members. We should be checking on each other. When I go to a dark place, when I get in a dark place, um, I need somebody to check on me. I need somebody to remind me who I am. I isolate because isolation is what we're all pulled to. I isolate. I, start, I want autonomy. I start to imagine my life in my own terms. I need other people to remind me, no, you can't do that. You've got to stay on the path. You'll, you'll self-destruct. Let's do that with each other. Listen to the Holy Spirit. If someone comes to mind nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, that's going to be the Holy Spirit. If someone call, comes to mind, have the courage to go ahead and call them and check on them. The fourth thing is this, encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. There are all kinds of faint-hearted and weak people in the church. Some are weak in their faith. Some are new to Christianity. Some are struggling with despair and anxiety. Others have personal struggles and home struggles to deal with, etc. Again, 
Everybody's a minister. Know them. See them. Pursue them. Let's be a more encouraging church. Let's go towards the faint-hearted and the weak um, because when you're weak, you need somebody to come towards you. Fifth is this. Simple. Be patient. Be patient. A fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's just a simple thing that's an encouragement to you. Just be patient. It's good timing for this part of the verse because sometimes it's hard to be patient with, um, or we lose patience with those we see as lazy or not engaging or weak or faint-hearted. Be patient. You need people to be patient with you, and so do I. Be patient with others. Some of us, we lose patience too easily. We make it a black and white issue. It's for us, we say like, it's not hard to just show up. Just do it. Just do the right thing. Just do the thing that you're supposed to do. It's not hard to do. Man, I've said that a bunch. We lose patience. We don't, we don't understand. We don't try to understand what's going on in someone's life or try to not assign motives, but understand where their heart is at. So we just make it black and white. Be careful. Be careful here. We'll turn into Pharisees really quickly if that's our attitude. Be patient. Six, don't repay evil with evil. Verse 15, don't repay evil with evil. Retaliation and vengeance are not marks of godliness. In fact, they are just the opposite. But they do scratch an itch. It's our flesh. My favorite movies are westerns, man. I mean, probably not hard. It's probably not hard for you to believe. But I just love them. I love, and every western ever is about vengeance and retaliation. We love it, man. It scratches an itch. It just seems like, oh, man, we just rise up to that. I just love that, dude. One guy against an army. They killed his dog. I don't know. He's mad. He goes crazy. We love that stuff. But it's not the gospel. If you follow Jesus and submit to the Bible, it's not. Retaliation and vengeance are not godly. They're not. The Bible speaks out clearly against vengeance and retaliation. Two specific ways, but more than this, if you need more examples. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Belongs to Him. Turn the other cheek, Jesus said. Blew everyone's mind. Someone hits you, turn the other cheek. Isn't that amazing? Repaying evil in our day can certainly look like violence, but a more subtle way is with our words. We repay evil with our words, not necessarily with violence. Gossip, slander, building an army for yourself, subtle ways that we kind of throw people under the bus. Let's be more committed to not repay evil with evil. Let's go towards people. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's be a church that assumes the best. Let's be a church that makes distrust have to be earned, not trust. 
Not repaying evil for evil is simply about your own perception of reality. If you understand fully that what you deserved was eternal death, and you were an enemy of God, and nobody deserved to be retaliated against more than, hit, more than anyone else in history than we did. We deserve it more than anyone else in history. And God did not retaliate. He came and gave himself up for us so that we could no longer be enemies but be his friends. That is our example. That's our example. So that's what happened in your life. If you have a healthy perspective about the gospel and how God saved you, then retaliation will seem like a distant thought. You'll just be grateful. Look what God's done for me. I want to have grace. Seven, always seek to do good. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Kindness is another way to look at this. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It says seek to do good. Seek to be kind to one another, which is the church, and then to everyone else. The church ought to be the kindest place for anyone to ever come. Christians should be the kindest people on the planet. We should be kind. It drives me insane that Sundays are the worst time to work in a bar or restaurant. It drives me crazy. There are lots of you in the room who have waited tables in your life. And that is just across the board, a thing that you know don't work on Sundays. Everybody's going to be rude to you, and then they're not going to tip you. It should blow your mind that when people leave church, they are more entitled than when they were before. Because everybody's going to eat lunch after they leave church, and the sense of entitlement should be way lower. They show up to a restaurant, and because they're entitled, because of what they just heard or whatever, they treat their waiters or waitresses like trash. That's sinful. You should be incredibly kind when we leave this room. This should be the kindest place on the planet. And when we leave here, everybody we encounter should be encountered with the kindness of Jesus. Let's be kind. Let's be committed to always seek to do good. We are actually a kind church by God's grace. Let's seek to do more. Let's become even kinder in 2021. Eighth is this. Rejoice always. Verse 16. Man, that seems crazy, doesn't it? Rejoice always. Rejoicing can seem like a cheesy way to avoid reality. How can we rejoice when everything is so crazy and bad? Rejoicing, here's how. Rejoicing is not about your circumstances. Again, it's about your perception. It's about your perspective. And we need the help of God to have a joyful perspective. Philippians 4 uh, tells us this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That's good news. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then something crazy happens. If you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This verse is telling us 
Peace is possible. It can come to us. How does it come? Let your reasonableness be known. Fight to be reasonable. Fight for joy. Also, pray. Also, pray in joy. Fight for joy in your prayer. Two things that change our perspective. It realigns us with reality, and it's this. What the scripture said, the Lord is at hand. He is at work. Let's pray. Let's have joy when we pray. Number nine, pray. Pray without ceasing, it says. Seems like an impossible task if your idea of prayer is to be locked in a room somewhere with no distractions. But that's not what a life of prayer is. Do you need to find time to in solitude pray? Yes, do it as much as you can. But praying without ceasing does not equal or become equivalent to your 15 minutes a day or whatever it is that you sit in silence in prayer. Praying without ceasing means there is an open conversation with God all the time. Even when you're in your car, when you're at work, when you're doing whatever you're doing, there is an open conversation with God all the time. He is able to talk to you and you're listening. And you talk to him. It's having God on our mind. That's prayer without ceasing. Vacuum the living room. Pray. Pray. And then also find times for you to be alone with God. We need more prayer in this church. We need more prayer in our community groups. We need more prayer in our home life. In work life, we need more prayer on Sundays. Every time we preach a sermon at the end, we have a time for ministry time. We have people down front that are ready to pray. My prayer is that we would be convicted and repent of a Midwestern Bible Belt ideal that the church is no place to be honest and that you don't have stuff that you need help with in your life. Everybody here does. Let's repent and commit to pray this year and let's start filling up this area in our ministry time for needs that we have in our life and ask for prayer. You're a mess, by the way. Cat's out of the bag. You are actually a mess. You need Jesus. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. So come and pray. Stop worrying what everybody else is thinking. Ten, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in everything. This doesn't say um, that we can be thankful for every circumstance. It says that we can be thankful in every circumstance. So when stuff comes your way, be thankful. This is a matter of generosity in your life. This is a matter of compassion. This is a matter of gratitude. One of the ways that God needs to grow us in how we give thanks in all circumstances is for you to be grateful for the money that you make. Our church, we need to be more grateful for the things that we have. We run this church really lean. It is, we run it skinny, a friend of mine said. It's really lean around here. We need to grow in our generosity. I'm just telling you straight up. We have budget goals that we need to hit so that we can do ministry, so that we can push back darkness. It's time for you to start thinking about how am I, how am I generous with my money? How am I generous with my time? We've got several areas that we need help in. It's time for you to start being generous with your time. If you have an income in this church, you need to start with 10% of that income coming in as a tithe. 
That's just a start. I know it's harsh. I know you feel weird about the pastor talking about money. It, it drives me nuts that we can't talk about money in the church anymore. We're going to talk about it here. One of the ways that we grow in our gratitude, one of the ways that we give thanks in all circumstances, is to be thankful for what God gives us to provide meals for us and put them on our table. Pay our bills. Start with 10%. Start with that. And then let's move from there. Let's be a generous people. I love what Pat said earlier. Don't give out of abundance. Give out of sacrifice. Give out of sacrifice. What we're going to see if we do that is God is going to deepen us and he's going to grow us closer to him. I promise you. I promise you. It's a principle of discipleship. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pessimism and cynicism are not fruits of the Spirit. And if you live your life under those attitudes, man, it's a dangerous game. You won't trust anyone, and in turn, you cannot be trusted because of that. Fight to be grateful. Fight against pessimism. Fight to be thankful. Fight against cynicism. Fight against the cynicism of this world. 11, do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecies. Apparently, there was some... Um, despising of prophetic words in Thessalonica. We don't want to be that. We want to be, according to 1 Corinthians 14, we want to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For some of us in the room, it's time to lay down our ideals of what the Holy Spirit is and um, how unsafe he is. He's not unsafe. He's actually God. Nobody's safer than God. The Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, created everything formed you from the earth, put together the plan of salvation, and executed it along with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit's not the crazy person in the room. He's not the unhinged one. The Holy Spirit is our life. We need to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. Spirit. Earnestly desire the gift of the gifts of the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Twelve. Know the Bible, verse 21, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Test it with what? Test it with the word of God. The ultimate truth in our life. Know the Bible. We need to be a community of people that are centered around the word, not the other way around. I think too often, one of the things that we need to repent of is we have made the Bible centered around community. What I mean by that is if it's convenient for us, we'll crack open the Bible. But if we're hanging out, then why do that? We need to flip that and reverse it. We need to let our community be centered around the Word of God. And we will this year. Ask questions. Sit under biblical instruction. Church community shouldn't be centered around likes, dislikes, or hobbies, or stages of life. If we do that, we're going to sink so fast. We need to be centered around the Word of God. And finally, number 13. This is a real easy one. Abstain from every form of evil. Every single form. How do we do that? Here's how. We have to know and recognize the difference between remorse and repentance. Repentance is a key component in the Christian life. But repentance and remorse are two different things. We can feel remorse for something and never actually repent. In this church, mostly, we are really good at feeling remorse. 
We feel bad, we get caught, or whatever it is. We're not so good at repenting. Repenting is, re- repentance is fitting for us um, when we talk about a New Year's resolution for a church because repentance is literally taking steps, taking disciplined steps, and then letting your heart catch up to those steps. It's doing the next right thing. Whatever the right thing is next, do that thing. That's repentance. God convicts. We say, this is not right. This is not healthy for me. I'm going to turn away from that. And I feel like I want that. I wouldn't have done it anyway if I didn't feel like I wanted it. I'm going to walk this direction, and my heart will catch up to me eventually. That's repentance. And guess what? Your heart does catch up to you. Let's repent more than we are remorseful. Let's actually match our remorse with repentance. 